Lord, we thank you for all you give us, all you do for us, the things that we see and the things that we don't, the things that we feel are an extra special privilege and those things we take for granted. Lord, forgive us. We continue to let your grace abound upon us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Please uh, grab a seat. I hope, ladies, you're enjoying the fact that the, the guys are upstairs probably about now, pulling their hair out, going a little bit crazy. It's good, hey? Yeah, yeah it's good. Uh, they're painting. <laughs> I said to Paul, I go, you can do whatever you want, just no glitter. No glitter ever, ever again. And he looked at me disappointed. I'm like, oh, I'm glad I said something. Um, the heart behind this idea is that we pray for every single person in Burley. And so like, you go, how do we do that? Well, well, we just, we, we cover a week, a street a week or three streets a week or whatever. If you're there and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm just here, I might take a walk and pray. And then on Sundays we can come back and just fill it in. And as the year goes on, we see this whole thing filled with lines to say that's, they're the people that we've prayed, that God would bless them and that God would reveal himself to them. And, um, and surely God's kingdom comes the more we pray. So that's, um, that's what we're doing there. Um, I want to kick off today by telling you about the time I was in prison as a chaplain. Hmm. Just, was just waiting for all the, uh, waiting for all the, the judgmental looks to float my way. Um, yeah, so I was a chaplain in prison, and the I remember all the training and preparation we had to do do to go through before we got there. So you got your security check, which took months and pay and mounds of paperwork, and then you would turn up on the very first day, and it was training. And they would basically say, okay, this is the metal detector. You're not allowed to traffic anything in or anything out of this place. And here's the list. The list was huge. It just went on and on and on. Um, I'm like, oh, man. So the time I accidentally forgot to take pliers out of my backpack, that was not a good day, right? Not a good day. But um, you had all these things you weren't allowed to take in. And then you worked out. So you got through the security door and there were keys. Everyone got um, some keys that work. And they were your keys. No one could ever touch those keys. No one could ever look at those keys apart from when you were doing it. And to access those keys, they needed two of you, one to go to this side of the room, one to go to that side of the room to unlock the safe so you could claim your keys and you put them in your pocket. And then you weren't allowed to tell a prisoner what your last name was, what you did for a living, where you came from, or anything about your life or your family. Which is fine if you're a prison guard, I get that. If you're a chaplain and your whole role is to build relationship and develop trust, like, are you kidding me? And they're like, yep, it's a no, non-negotiable, non-negotiable um, uh, rule. Because if things go pear-shaped, you don't want um, any consequences on the other side of this, I'm like, great. Well, that's going to be it's going to be super easy. So we went to the um, we we went to the we got through the security gates, and then they had this palm scan, and you'd have to put your hand on it. It was real tricky because you had to get the right amount of your palm on the scanner for it to scan and open the door for you to have an eye scan for you then to go through the turnstile to unlock the gate to get into the prison. Right. So so I, I'm, we're doing this, and I'm like. Why don't you just use a finger scan? Like, surely that's got to be easier. And the guy, cold, cold, stone, stone-faced eyes, looks at me and says, it's much harder for a prisoner to cut off your hand than your finger. Great, this is going to be fun. And I'm feeling, as all these things happen, you're feeling the weight 
of this. What the heck am I going into? I am so um, not ready for this. I am so incapable of, of being able to achieve these things that are before me. This is ridiculous. What on earth am I doing there? They even did the, um, the, the self-defense thing and they're like, all right, we're going to show you what happens and how you defend yourself if someone comes at you with a knife. Like, what's somebody doing with a knife in prison? And they're like, oh, we're going to get to the gun bit later on. Like a gun? He goes, you wait till we get to the chair. What are you going to do with a chair? And so you're equipped to go into this, but you're thinking, this is ridiculous. I'm so out of my league. I'm so not able to do these things. It just seems like a weight and a burden. And as the training rolled on, it felt heavier and heavier and heavier. Can you relate to that feeling? Not with things that happen in your life, with challenges that come up, with situations that are before you, and you're just like, oh man, this, this is a heavy burden. This is, this is going to be tough. I'm not sure how I'm actually going to do it. I'm not sure even if, if I'm up to it. But I want you to hold that feeling as I read to you the reading that we had on Monday. So we tracked along on Monday, we read Luke 9. And this is, um, this is Luke 9, 23 to 26. Um, and it's Jesus talking to, to his disciples. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever wants to lose their life for my sake will find it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. And I read that and I feel the same as when I've been prepared to go into prison. I'm just like, I don't know if I can do that. But that's a lot of weight, right? That's a lot of burden. That's a lot of responsibility. I'm a pastor too, so it should be easier for me, right? Um, I've been following Jesus for 25 years. I've been doing this thing for a little while. That should be like, yeah, that's me on a daily basis. I'm wonderful. But I look at this, I'm like, that standard is too high. It's too great. I know Jesus says it comes out of the lips of Jesus to his disciples. I'm not sure I'm up to the task. Am I alone in that? Or there are others that go, yeah, no, I, um, I, sometimes I don't want to think that or feel that, but, but sometimes I feel that. See, the problem is we read that passage as an introduction to the Christian faith. So what does it take to be a Christian? Well, you pick up your cross, you lose your life, you do all this, and we go, oh, all right, well, Jesus just looks so alluring. We'll get to that, we'll work that out later. We, we go for it, but there's this, this lurking thing that says, says step one is this it's, it's the starting blocks it's where it all beginnings that, that Jesus when he talked was this comprehensive orientation of what Christianity is and deep down we get kind of fearful like I'm not up to that I don't know if I'm ever going to be holy enough or good enough or a good enough Christian I don't know how that's going to go but that's not how the disciples heard it disciples sitting there that day that's not how they understood that's not the framework they were working with at all it wasn't an introduction it was a summary It wasn't, okay, guys, this is what you've got to get straight. Good, now you can follow me. It was, you followed me. Here's what you did. That changes things, right? It's like, oh, hang on. So so maybe that's not the starting point. Maybe that's what Jesus says about me when I humbly follow him. But to understand that, to really wrap our minds around that, we've got to explore what happened to the disciples. And to do that, we're going to go to the start of chapter 9. So that was at the end of chapter 9, 23. We're going to go to verse 
1. And listen to how the chapter starts, right? Listen to how the story that starts that, that eventuates in Jesus having that conversation with his disciples. The story starts like this. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. When Jesus has called his 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure all diseases. Now, up to this point, Jesus had been doing all the heavy lifting, right? Jesus had been doing it and doing it in magnificent style. And the disciples would have been like, we're with him. He's amazing. Look, we even follow him. He's great. Have you seen how he's done that? And then Jesus has the audacity to one day go, hey, guys, okay, the power that's in me that I've been doing all these things, here you go, it's yours now. Now you go do it. So what, excuse, excuse me, Jesus? Did you just, we're not, we're not ready for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. you've got my authority too. Go forward. See, it's weird, right? So Jesus didn't check to see if their theology was sound. And, and he, he didn't check to see if there's any sin lurking in their lives. Didn't seem to bother him too much. He, he didn't see if they had like a HD on the following scale. Like if they were smashing out of the park. You're so loyal followers. Yeah, have some power. Have some authority. Go crazy. He, he didn't go, he didn't sort of go, have you, um, I just need to do a bit of analysis. How much of your life have you still got? How much of my life have you got? Have you lost your life yet? Okay, you're good enough. I'm going to, we'll, we'll go for it and empower you with the spirit. He didn't even do like a weight bearing test to see how heavy a cross they could carry, right? It's just like, all right, boys, here's my power. Here's my authority. Go do it. It's crazy, right? Well, do we make the same decision? Uh, bunch of misfits running around the countryside with the power of God to do what God wants. It's kind of like us, right, and the church. Maybe we wouldn't, but Jesus did. So he sends them out to exercise this power that they've got. He says, just take it for a test drive. Give it a run. And he throws them in the deep end. It's like with no explanation, with no like, we need to sit down and talk this through. I need to train you. I need to develop you. He's like, just go. And he sent them out, verse 2, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And then he gives them some instructions about, because he goes, so what I want you to do is go over those villages. And here's what I want you to know. He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave that town. Shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. What he is basically saying here is take nothing that instills in you a sense of security. You have all you need in what I've given you. So don't take anything else that makes you more comfortable or adds to your security. This is an experiment where you will see what it is to live in my power and live by faith. Stay the course. When there, there will be others that don't like what you're doing and reject you. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Just brush it off. Shake it off. Move on. Do not let their, their um, perspective dampen your um, devotion to the mission. So listen to this, verse 6. So they set out, they went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. It was just kind of crazy and out of control. All these people start to get healed. They're doing it. <coughs> Jesus shares his power with them. They start to exercise their faith in Jesus. And the result is that amazing things take place. People are being healed and set free and radically transformed. And again, they find that just Jesus has just chucked them in the deep end. No training, no explanation, just go do it. 
don't, don't rely on anything else. Just rely on what I've given you. Just go do it. And then, I, the story's, it's just warming up. It goes to a whole nother le- level of kind of, of kind of crazy. Verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Jesus, you would not believe this. You've probably never seen anything like this in your whole life. We, we healed people. And we, we prayed for them and the, the spirits left and you just wouldn't believe. You should have come along. You really missed out. They would have been so excited about what happened. And then he took them with them and they withdrew them by, by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and they followed him. He welcomed them and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God and he healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve who'd just been on mission, right, filled with the Spirit of God, doing incredible things. The twelve um, came to him and said, send the crowd away, Jesus, so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging. Because we are in a remote place here. It's getting late and we don't have enough food. Sensible, right? I mean, you've had a big day in ministry, big week in ministry. Just let's send them away. And Jesus says probably the most enjoyable words Jesus has ever said. And you can just see it with this smirk on his face. And I wondered, because there were, there were it says there were 5,000 men there. There were something like 15,000 people just kind of in this town. It would have just been bedlam and crazy. And they're like, send them away. This is too crazy. And, and Jesus says... And I'm sure he says it in a loud voice, so at least the first 50 rows can hear. He says this, he goes, you give them something to eat. You did not just say what we think you said. I did. You give them something to eat, but Jesus, we've got like a couple of loaves of bread and a few fish. Are you kidding? You give them something. He, they're going to give you guys food. Now, so Jesus puts them on the start. He throws them in the deep end. They did not have feeding the 5,000 training, right? They, they'd never ever seen bread kept being broken off and kept coming. They'd never seen fish go and go and go and go and go. And so they're in this place going, we, we have no idea what to do except have faith, except God, you've, you've filled us with this power that hasn't got away, right? So they're filled with the power. They've got out, they minister, they come back. Jesus is amazing. He's like, oh, you you see nothing yet. What's this? Feed all the people. <laughs> it takes it to, a, to this next level. He's calling it out of them by throwing them in the deep end I remember the first time I was thinking this week the first time I ever got asked to speak on a camp um, it was a Filipino camp um, which probably says a bit because back then I was an even worse speaker than I am now um, and so they probably wanted someone they couldn't understand just to like get, get through the weekend but they, um, they asked me this is, I was, this is when I was a youth pastor before I became a minister so it was like a little while ago a few years ago um, and they called up one day and said would you do this and I'm like are you sure because they'd never heard me speak I'd, heard, I'd spoken a handful of times and they're like no we've, we've, um, there's enough people that say you're a good enough bloke I'm like oh that's not what you want to base a good camp speaker on I said okay I'll, I'll, look, I'll, I'll do it why not and so it's three or four sessions and then I get there and they go to me Oh, I just want to check you're okay to do ministry time, right? And, and outwardly, I said this, I went, oh, absolutely. And inwardly, I went, the heck's a ministry time? It's the weirdest question ever. And I said, so what do you expect that to look like? Because I had no idea what they're talking about, right? And they said, it's up to you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. Well, if it went 
really, really well, um, when would it be in, in our time together? Well, you can put it wherever you want. But where would you like, oh, you could do it after your talk. I'm like, okay, yeah, no, I'll do it after my talk. That is a great, great idea right there. What the heck? Oh, man. And so, so I get through my talk. Talk goes okay, I thought. Get to the end of it, and it's ministry time. And I'm standing there, and I feel like the disciples standing in front of this crowd and Jesus going, give them something to eat. Uh, and this idea pops into my head, and the idea is we just invite them to pray for each other. Okay, so I said, all right, so we're going to have a ministry time now. Because you say it with a lot of confidence, even though you don't have a clue what's going on, right? We're going to have a ministry time and God's going to move. And how about you just turn to the person next to you and ask if you need, they need prayer. And you just pray for them. And then they can do the same for you. And so people did it. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. They actually did it. And then God's spirit moved and people started crying and, and carrying on. It was just kind of crazy. And I'm standing there going, huh, ministry time's easy. You just throw out an instruction and just step back and watch. It was, it was amazing. And I remember going, this is completely the result of the work of God, the power of God, the Spirit of God doing this thing in, in every way fathomable. And I wished I had more training. So when I got up there, I didn't be like, oh, how do I do this? But I'm so thankful I didn't have any training. That when I got up there, it was just there was one option. God wants to bring us to those places where we go, hang on, I don't, I don't know how to talk about my faith with my co-worker. This is going to be awkward. And God wants us to be like, yeah, yeah, it's exactly where I want you. Just open your mouth. Trust me. Or we go, oh, I've got this neighbour, but it's kind of always been a bit cold and I've never really connected with them and stuff. But I've heard that they're sick and I could go around. I could knock on the door. I could care for them. But it would just be too weird. And God's like, that's exactly where I want you. Go on, step up. Or we're walking down the street and we're late for something or we're shopping and it's just all crazy. And we see someone that's struggling with their kids or struggling with their, um, trying to uh, get the um, shopping in the car or whatever it looks like. And you know, you have that moment where you go like, ah, but I can't, sorry, wish I could, but you get it. And God's like, no, no, that's one of those opportunities where I want you to be where it's just like, yeah, it's all up to me and my spirit and what happens. Now that's where I want you. You're not meant to be prepared with anything other than saying, Okay, I'll, I'll go to that village I've never been to and I'll start preaching the gospel that I don't even know makes sense and I'll put my hand, I'll do exactly what you did, Jesus. You prayed that God would heal. <gasps> You've been healed? What? You know, we, God invites us into this thing that just says, well, just do what Jesus did. And if you're not sure what that is, just guess what Jesus would do and do it. It, it doesn't matter the, the technique we use. What matters is our heart and our obedience in those spaces of moving, moving toward them. Gone way off script. Okay, <laughs> you know what we what we often yearn for is is that email or that letter that pops through from God that just makes it all really clear, you know, concise. Where it's just like, this is what I want you to do. This is who I want you to do it with, and, and when I want you to do it. And this is exactly what you need to do. This will be the benefit from it, and this will be the cost. We want that, right? It's like, oh, just hit me up with that list because then I will assess whether I should do it or not. As we do, don't we? Like, oh, I can weigh it up then. I can, I can see if I'm up to the task. And God's like, there's no email ever coming because you're not up to the task and you're not meant to be up to the task because I am. And so you just go and I'll bring the rest to the bear in that situation. See, as our faith grows, 
As we step into that space, something awesome happens. Our love for God grows. Yeah, our love for God grows as our faith grows. And so if you're sitting there going, I just wish I loved God more, all you need to do is that little step of faith into that thing when he, he drops a name into your mind tomorrow morning and you know, like me, you're like, oh, it's gonna take me about a month to actually action that. Um, but you go, oh, I'm just gonna do something about it now because maybe God wants it to happen now and it might be weird. It might be a phone call or a text. I might invite someone to um, have a drink or to catch up or just say, oh, you just popped into my head and I thought maybe God wanted me to reach out. That's what God wants you to do. And you know, no one dies from doing it. Well, it depends what you text, but within reason. We have all this fear that holds us back because says, no, 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 this is the space I want you to be in. So this is the space the disciples are in. Fed these 5,000 people. I think it's just been a crackerjack week. And then Jesus pulls them together again and he asks them a question. This is in Luke 9.20. So we haven't got to where we started. We haven't got to that passage yet. So all this has happened in Luke, uh, Luke 9. And he asked them a question. And the question he asked, asked them is, who do you say that I am? So guys, you've seen all this. Who do you say I am? You know what it's, this spirit that you've seen me working, you, you've experienced that in all these crazy ways. Who do you say I am? And Peter speaks on behalf of the group and he says, and it's a cracker statement, he says, you are the Christ of God. I'm like, talk about putting all your chips on the table. It's like, you want to respect God? You are Christ, the God. See, our answer to that question, who do we say, who do we each say Jesus is, depend, determines whether we live by faith or we live trying to stay in control of stuff. Because if we go, yeah, God, Jesus, you are, you are a good God, I can still be in control. But when Peter says you are Christ the God, he is saying everything we have, the breath in our lungs comes from you. All the things we enjoy, it, it all comes from you. You, you conquer for us. You, you are a saviour. You are life itself. You are a healer. You are a provider. You are creator. You are everything to us. And when we realise that God is everything to us and we have God, he imparts himself to us in such an intimate way that he dwells within us and lives through us. When Jesus says, who I am I to you? We go, you are, you are Christ the God. You, you are all these things to us. And I can step out in faith because of what my belief is in who Jesus is. And so we start praying for the sick. And we start, you know, we start praying that spirits would leave people. And that demons would be, would be taken away from people by the power of God. We start preaching the gospel. We start to step into a place that we go, oh, I never thought I'd ever do this. And I'm not talking about being culturally inappropriate. But we do it in a way that loves people, that honours people, that blesses people. But says, this faith, I'm stepping out into it. See, it's after this question that Jesus asks, He's empowered them with the Holy Spirit. He's, he's sent them out to the towns. They fed 15,000 people. They're absolutely convinced that Jesus is the Christ of God. And Jesus wants us to be convinced that he is worthy to be our Lord before he asks anything of us. He wants to prove that to you. He goes, I'm worthy to be your God. I'm going to prove that to you before I ask anything of you. So after discovering that, the disciples already know Jesus to be the Son of God. After all of these crazy things happen, he then says to them, so this is the passage, right? Verse 23, now we're getting into where we started. 
So he says to a group of disciples who are utterly convinced, they're already there. He says, whoever, that's how he starts. He does not say you. He says, whoever, whoever is to come, but the people that aren't you, but the people that will hear about this, that will experience this. When my spirit comes again at Pentecost, there will be people that are empowered by the spirit. They do amazing things and they're going to have to have some sort of framework to understand what it is. Those people, this is the framework. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. He says that to this group of disciples, they would have been so pumped. They would be like, that is us. Did you see how we carried that cross? Did you see we didn't even think about ourselves? Did you see we weren't worried about where we were going to get food? It was where our lives are being changed. What? How did that, how did that happen? That's amazing. Maybe it happened when that Spirit of God entered us because that's when I started to feel different. I started to think less about me and more about everything else and everyone else. And the more I let that Spirit reign in my life, the more, Jesus, that's exactly me who you've just talked about. Because Jesus was describing not an expectation that was upon them, but the status that defined them. He says, this is who you are. And this is who others will be. This is what it means and it looks like not to do the legalism of all these things, but to be filled with my spirit and to step out. Those words, in a sense, are a commentary on everything that's just happened. So that when it comes time for Pentecost and the Spirit of God to come and they'll look to these disciples, they'll look to these 12 guys or 11 guys and go, what the heck? They'll go, oh, Jesus talked about this. And they would have repeated those words time and time again. This is what it looks like. This is what it means. You don't have to worry about giving up your own life. You'll find it in Jesus. See, only when we seek Jesus first is his power imparted to us that do we experience the freedom that it's done. There's no obligation of what you have to do. When you receive Jesus, it's all done. There is a freedom that we can just float in. I used to really struggle with it. That verse, especially the bit about take up your cross. Especially that bit about how do you lug around a cross? Because if I'm gonna lug it around, I have gotta do it well. And it's going to be heavy and it's going to be splintery and it's going to be kind of awkward because crosses are, I don't know if you've ever picked up a cross, they're awkward. And then there's the public spectacle that leaves to. So, so Jesus, I, I've got to go hard for you. People need to make sure, I need to, people to be sure that they see me carrying this cross and it's your cross. But what's interesting is Jesus does not say, take up my cross. He says, take up your cross. Not his cross. See, on his cross, he took care of my guilt and my shame and my sin. On his cross, on the cross that he hung on, he restored that which was broken, that which was fallen, that which was just a, a, a mess. On his cross, I was forgiven and set free. And Jesus did that so that what I carry around will be super light. So my cross isn't the guilt and the shame and trying to get there. My cross is the victory that Jesus has secured. 
It's the triumph. It's the freedom. When Jesus says, take up your cross, he's saying, wear your victory in me. I've made you secure. I've given you everything. You are free. Don't live according to a law. You are free by my spirit. Take up that. Carry that around. He's inviting us to take up the victory that he's secured from us. So these disciples are sitting there and they're hearing the words those days and they're like, they would have thought back. They would have heard Jesus say that. They would have thought back, wow, we got filled by God's spirit. And then we went out on mission and, and we told all these people and we, we, we preached the gospel and we healed people. And then we fed all those people. It was just amazing. And then they would have thought back to what Peter said. And Peter nailed it and they all went, yeah, that, that's who you are to us, Jesus. And they would have felt secure. After hearing those words, they wouldn't have felt any weight or any fear or any trepidation. They would have felt a security to say, yep, Jesus, you've nailed what our lives look like in you. It was actually this encouragement. See, Jesus has already done things in your life to show you that he is Lord and Saviour. The problem is we forget him. So the disciples do the mission work, come back, feeding the 5,000. You'd have thought they would be like, oh, we're up to this. We are on fire. Instead, they're like, no, 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 no. Send them away. It's too crazy. So they forget so quickly. But we forget so quickly, right? But when we can remember how God has been faithful, how God has been our saviour, how God has made a difference, it places us so close to Jesus. It places us in this faith-filled space. It expands our love for Jesus. So what I want to do tonight is just invite Jesus to tell us, to remind us what he's already done for us. That your faith may be strengthened. It may be encouraged that you will continue to step out of faith. That you would take up your cross of freedom and salvation and you would walk forward with that in the security of what Jesus has done for you. So let's have just some, some prayer time now, some time of listening to, to God's Spirit, that He would remind us and show us of those things of how He's been faithful, that we might cling onto them and move into the things before us with that confidence. Loving God, we, um, we come before you now. And it can be so easy to hear and we agree and it's so difficult to just let go of those things we've, we've put firmly on our shoulders as weights that, that hold us down. And so Lord, we just pray that as we forget that stuff right now, you would recall times when you've been faithful. Remind us of those moments you have made a difference in our lives, of the wondrous gifts that you've given of the beauty that you've shined into our lives, of your amazing gifts, Lord. As we sit in this space now, show us those things.